so this is Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or in absence, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened for anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a really exciting announcement that I have to give you. I received a letter in the mail. And it was not only marked to me, but it was marked to Redeemer Presbyterian Church. So it's a way, shape, and form, this letter is for all of us. It's very important. I will read it. From the desk of Mustafa Alpha, from the Union Bank of Nigeria. Dear Church, this is strictly a private business proposal. I am Mr. Mustafa Alpha, the manager of Bills and Exchange at the Foreign Remittance Department of the Union Bank of Nigeria. I am writing this letter to ask for your support and cooperation to carry out this opportunity in my department. We have discovered an abandoned sum of $15 million in an account that belongs to one of our foreign customers who died along with his entire family in a 1997 plane crash. $15 million. This even gets better. Since we have heard of this death, we have expecting his next kin to come, but no one has come. And we realize that we must release these funds, otherwise they will go uh, into the state coffers. And so we have located you, Redeemer Church, and wish to transfer these funds into your account. And in exchange for that, we simply ask for 75% of the profits, and you can keep 25%. We want to hear from you. Please contact us immediately so we can be face to face. What do you guys think? Huh? I'll tell you what, an opportunity like this comes along once in a lifetime. So we're going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about what we're going to do about this exciting opportunity. Now, all of us have received a message from Mustafa Alpha in Nigeria. So the message is, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. According to USA Today, almost a half a billion dollars of unclaimed lottery money was reported last year. Strange, isn't it, that you would have a winning ticket and the announcement would come out and you wouldn't go. Why? It's too good to be true. No way something like that could happen to me. You know, it's easy to become jaded in our culture by promises of wealth and prosperity as the talking TV box continues to... Uh, uh, hound on us with messages of how we can be more beautiful, more rich, more content, more happy if we simply buy this or this or this. And so as we hear the noise and static of the world, if we perhaps become immune to the messages from Mustafa in Nigeria, what are we to do about the gospel? If it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? And in the gospel, we hear a message of love. We hear a message of boundless love, of the gracious love of God, of a God who is so crazy about you that he would get up on a cross and die for you. It's too good to be true. It 
probably is. And so Paul is addressing this very question to the Philippians. As they are hearing this message of Paul, hearing the message of the gospel, and looking at their circumstances and wondering, is this too good to be true? So Paul wants to communicate to them, yes, there is something that is too good to be true that actually is true. And so Paul exhorts them to do three things. Number one, to believe in the gospel. To believe in this message. Number two, to respond to the gospel by living a life that's worthy of it. Actually planting your feet on this faith, this belief. And indeed, number three, let your love overjoy so much that you're willing to suffer for the gospel. See, the message in this passage is simply this. Faith in the gospel is choosing to believe what God believes about you. Faith in the gospel is choosing to believe what God believes about you. So let's look at these three exhortations. Number one, to believe in the gospel. Paul moves from friendship in the last section to exhortation. Paul's talked about his circumstances, how he's in prison. He's talked about his convictions, where even in prison he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. He's talked about his friendship with the Philippians, where he says, I'd love to go and be with Christ, but I'd rather be here with you so I can help you to grow in this understanding of Christ. And so now he turns to the Philippians, and he tells them, this is your motivation for living. Let your manner be worthy, your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of, the, of Christ which moves how you live. Well, what is this gospel of Christ? You know, the first thing that Jesus said when he started his ministry, when he sat down in the synagogue and he said, and he had this scroll of Isaiah and he said, this passage I'm about to read will be, is fulfilled in right now. He said, this is talking about me. And as he read the scripture, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has anointed me. He has sent me. I am the one who has come to declare this good news. He has sent me to proclaim good news or gospel to the poor. For everyone who feels like they are empty of riches, everyone who is dissatisfied, Everyone who is poor in their spirit, I've come to give good news, this gospel of Christ. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you are imprisoned by your sin, imprisoned by your body, imprisoned by your emotions, imprisoned by others, He's come to bring liberty and recovering of sight to the blind. If you're wandering around in the darkness, if you don't know where to go, if you don't know what your destination is, I've come to show you the way. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. This good news, says Jesus, is not only for you individually, but I've come to create a new world. A world in which there is no prison and torture and injustice, but rather a world of true liberty and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what the gospel is, my friends? 
It's a declaration of love. It's a declaration of love. How does it feel? Have you ever proclaimed your love to someone? Have you ever declared it? Have you ever said to them, I want you to know how I feel about you? That's what the gospel is. Is Jesus coming and giving his message? The question we have is, how much love do you have for me, God? Psalm 103, 11 puts it this way, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. Zephaniah three seventeen says, The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will exult over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. This God who comes to declare his love in this message called the gospel wants to communicate it to us in such a clear way. You know, when you declare your love for someone, at the ultimate level, you give them something, right? Something priceless, a, a ring, a diamond, something for them to know the pricelessness so that the words actually have weight. God gives us something even more beautiful. He gives us the cross. He gives us demonstration of the declaration of His love. And so Paul says the motivation of your life is to be this gospel. So that I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with your minds striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul knew that the Philippians were going to doubt. That they were going to struggle with believing that God loved them in such a way. Have you ever experienced doubt in somebody's love? You wonder, do they really love me as much as they say? Sometimes the challenges and the difficulties we've had from other people make us doubt another person's love. We've been hurt by broken promises. Maybe someone who promised to love us, but they didn't. They left. Maybe unconditional uh, love of parents. Maybe someone that, not even because of their own fault, death or separation or something took them away. And so we take these doubts and these pains and we bring them to God. You know, it doesn't matter how much someone loves you if you refuse to believe them. They can have all the love in the world for you, but if you refuse to believe them, it might as well be that there's not anything at all. See, we need more than the gospel. We need the faith of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. That you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Now faith is very being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. So to have faith in the gospel is to choose to believe what God believes about you. The gospel of Christ is a declaration of love, and faith in the gospel is our loving response. And so Paul says to strive for this faith. To strive for it with one mind, says the scripture. A single-mindedness. In one spirit, standing on the Holy Spirit, to strive for it together. This faith of the gospel. To believe in His promises of God. I was recently doing some studies on atmospheric weather. This is the sort of thing I occupy myself 
from time to time while you may be watching ESPN. And I discovered there are different levels of the Earth's atmosphere. You probably already knew this. The bottom level of the Earth's atmosphere is the troposphere. It begins at the Earth's surface and extends 4 to 12 miles high. So at the density, the gases in this layer decrease, and so the air becomes thinner, and the temperature begins to drop, all the way down to negative 60 degrees in the tropopause. But wait, there's more. <laughs> the stratosphere extends to around 31 miles above the Earth's surfaces. So the oxygen molecules begin to become more and more dense, and so the temperatures increase as one is going up. They still would feel very cold to our skin in the thin atmosphere. So you must go to the mesosphere, a place where no man has gone before. Actually, we go there all the time. This layer extending goes all the way up to 53 miles. It goes up. Now the mesosphere are thick enough to slow down the meteors hurtling into the atmosphere where they burn up, leaving fiery trails in the sky. And then there's the thermosphere, up to 375 miles, and finally there's the exosphere at the top of all atmospheres that extends up to 6,200 miles above the Earth. So what does it mean when the Lord says, as the heavens are above the Earth, so great is my love for you? I've never been to 6,200 miles above the Earth. I can only guess what's there. But God is saying, if you were to go all the way to the top of the atmosphere, my love for you would be there just as much as it is down here. And that's just the lowest of the heavens. See, I've never been there, but I can choose to believe. I can choose to hope. I can live as a loved one. I can hold on to this. Why? Because I've seen His love here on earth. I've seen it in the cross. See, we're all striving for something, my friends. But what Paul is saying to strive for most is to believe that God loves you. You must dare to believe. To believe in love, you must receive it. And so surrender. Surrender your fear, your doubts, maybe your past. Surrender your doubts so you may embrace His love. To bask in it. To rejoice in it. To bathe in it. And guard it. Second Timothy says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. See, we must at the end of the day set our hope on something. When all else fails... His love never fails. He never gives up on us. So we must live the faith of the gospel, choosing to believe what God believes about us. Well, that moves me to my second point where Paul says to live a life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 says, Only view your manner, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Your manner of life. This brings up an ethical dimension of the gospel. How you live, how you love, how you treat people, how you govern your life. This manner of life, if you were to translate it into Greek, means citizenship. 
Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony, and so they had the privileges that many other colonies outside of Rome didn't have. They were citizens. They had all the benefits. And they also had the responsibility of living in a manner worthy as a citizen of Rome. What Paul is saying is let your manner of life be worthy of being a citizen of heaven. This word worthy is very interested in the Greek. It means commensurate value. Meaning if something is worth this, let the worthiness of it be here. Meaning whatever the value is, the value is proportional, directly equal. And so when Paul says, let your life, let the way you live be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he's saying let the love of Christ, this unconditional love, let your life be lived in such a way that it's worthy of such a love. Well, you may think to yourself, how can I ever match the boundless love of God in Christ? But God's formula for worth is different than ours. Remember the widow at the well? Everyone comes and they're giving in their treasures and all of these things. And in comes an old woman, puts in two little coins. And Jesus says, this one has given more than anyone else. The disciples say, how can you say that? Because she has given everything. To live a life worthy, in the manner of life worthy of the gospel, is to give all of yourself. To give all of your heart. How do we show love? The scriptures say to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Love Him back like He loves you with the totality of your being. Fall in love with the one who's fallen in love with you. It's a statement of the heart. It's a movement of affection. At the core of the gospel, at the core of Christianity is a love relationship between God who laid down His life for you and you who give your life to Him. When it says to love your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what God, what the Hebrew means for that is everything. The totality of your person. Love the Lord your God, but also live life you love. Not only with your heart, but also with your hands. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. See, to love God is to love what he loves. Justice. Mercy, goodness, faithfulness. And you know the thing that God loves most? He loves people. The first command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. See, what God says is, do not lie to your neighbor. Because I never would lie to you. Serve those around you, even your enemies, because I serve you. Forgive those who trespass against you, for I forgave you. Tell them about my love. I want to communicate to them my love. Will you do so? I don't know if you've ever done this before. You know, you fall in love with someone, you want to communicate with them, and so you write them a letter, not a text. Love you, babe. No, you write a long, flowing letter communicating your heart. We are the letter 
the love note that God is giving to His people. 2 Corinthians 3.3 puts it this way, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What an awesome privilege to be a love letter of God to someone else. To bring the gospel to them. Imagine if I gave a letter to my friend, my best friend, and I said, I want you to go deliver this, hand deliver this letter of love to this person. And so I'm sitting in pins and needles waiting for the phone call and it doesn't come. And I finally see me, my friend, and I say, what happened? He says, what? He said, I told you to deliver the letter. Since I lost it. Did you realize how important that was to me? See, we want to love like he loves. Love our neighbor. Love our enemies. Love people into the kingdom. See, we love people separately, but we also love together as a church. Notice what it says, that I will see that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side. The word there, striving side by side, is sun atletico. It means athletics, running together side by side. There's power, my friends, in a community of love that loves one another and as a community chooses to love those outside. I remember reading my son's journal. It's been a tremendous blessing to read Mark's journals. And Mark went to Nicaragua last year. And he, he went and he was going to stay at this orphanage and he wanted to communicate to them about Christ and he wanted to help them in their particular situation, these orphans. And the first part of his trip, he was discouraged because he saw their pain and he saw their challenge of their life circumstance and he thought to himself, what, what can I do in the midst of this poverty? How can I make a difference in their lives? And there's a section in his uh, journal where he turns the corner and realizes, you know, I can't do much for these people, but the one thing I can do is I can love them. No strings attached. You can just love them for who they are. As Christ has loved me, I can show my love for them. And that's enough. It was Henry Nowen, the Catholic priest and teacher, that wrote this. More and more the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire is to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project. It's so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It's difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you're working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. Let your manner of 
life and worthy of the gospel. So is it? For most of us, our relationship with God is not founded on love. It's founded on guilt. God died for you. The least you could do is spend some time with Him. Can't you obey His commands? There's a distance. There's a coldness. Yes, I'll love people because He said so. See, for your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel means to love Him as much as He loves you. The gospel is God's declaration of love for you. And how you live is your declaration of love for Him. Everything is a declaration if it's done in love. And so let your life be a declaration. If you're a mom, stay-at-home mom, and your entire day is spent cleaning up messes and changing diapers, that can be a declaration of love for God. I'm doing this for you. If there's the guy over in the other office that everybody hates and gossips about and tears down, I can reach out to him. I can love him even though everybody hates him. And that can be a declaration of my love for you. Choosing to love your spouse despite all of the garbage and stuff in the past and to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's a declaration to God. See, you were meant to be loved and to love in return. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel is choosing to believe and act in what God believes about you. This brings me to my final point, to suffer for the gospel. Notice verse 28 and 29. To not be frightened of anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. This word frightened in anything of your opponents is a picture of a horse shying away from the battle, not wanting to get in the fray. Here's the truth that I've learned in my brief experience on this earth. That love always has enemies. Love always has enemies. And so to love is to suffer. Brian Jones got that. To love is to suffer. Jesus said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, enemies can't understand that love. By the way, I couldn't either because I used to be an enemy of the gospel. And saved for God's grace, I would be just like them. But enemies will come alongside you and will say, this love of God, this gospel, he doesn't love you. They'll insult you. They'll insult you because of what you say. They'll persecute you because you claim to live by this love. They'll inflict pain on you if they can their one goal is to break you of believing in love. And Jesus said this is part of it. Part of redeeming the world is being willing to suffer for love. For it has been granted to you to suffer. That by loving even your enemies, 
you would show how much I love you, and that it would be a declaration. My friends, life is not easy, and loving Christ isn't either. You will have tests in life. You haven't had them already. But you see, you only can know the depths of His love in the depths of your desperation. It's at the top of the exosphere, or at the bottom of the ocean, that you discover the love of Christ in an even deeper way, and you emerge stronger. So amidst the suffering, we can declare to God, I love you. We can show the world that Christ's love endures forever. His faith in the gospel is choosing to believe what God believes about you. You know, Christians have been in the Middle East for over two millennia. The first Christians to come to faith were the Armenian Christians. There's a, they have suffered through centuries of persecution and discrimination. And right now, there is what amounts to a genocide of Christians in the Middle East as they flee places like Iraq and Syria. Many of these now controlled by the Muslim group ISIS, who last weekend issued a decree offering the dwindling Christian population a choice. Convert to Islam or pay a special religious levy that is so expensive. And if they did not comply, there would be nothing to give them but the sword. Their crime? Simply being Christian and refusing to give up that love. And amidst this horror, their stories of bravery, those who love their enemies, those who are willing to die rather than renounce Christ. And because of that, even enemies of Jesus are coming to faith. But the question is for us, what will we do? There was Martin Luther King who said in the end, it will not be the voices of our enemies that are remembered, but rather the silence of our friends. To love Christ is to love our brothers, striving together as one spirit. Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a special offering. And the special offering is for Redeemer. Our normal offering is going to go to the Christians who are fleeing in Iraq and Syria. So if you want to give an offering to Redeemer above the normal offering, write Redeemer on it. Otherwise, our offering we are going to send to Syria and Iraq through channels to help our brothers and sisters who are suffering for Christ. It's the least we can do to come alongside our brothers, to love those who love us. But what is that going to do for our budget, Pastor? I don't know. Does it really matter in the end? Faith in the gospel is choosing to believe what God believes about you. And so believe, my friends, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Believe in His love. Declare it with your own life. Strive together as a family, encouraging one another, challenging one another, comforting one another, not just here, but all around the world. Because His love never fails, He'll never give up on us. We must never give up on one another. Faith in the gospel is choosing to believe 
God will do this for you. Let's pray. Lord, it's not only the gospel we need, but we need the faith of the gospel. We need to believe that what you say is true. We need to stand firmly on that which sometimes we cannot see. And so, Lord, help us. Help our unbelief. Help us to stand firm as one, contending for the faith. And Lord, let the manner of our life, let the declaration of our love back to you and how we love one another and others be of the same worthiness of your love. Not that it ever could be as high or wide or long or deep, but rather that it would come from a fully devoted heart. All of this we give you in Christ's name. Amen.